It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Our fifth day. Our fifth day of talking, me reminiscing about... Um, about my time in the Ukraine as the war started, um, like I said, I, I think it was, I think it was uh, March sixth, March fifth, or March March sixth that I went in, and the war itself started uh, February twenty fourth, and it was it was just so fresh to uh, to everyone there that it was, uh, you know, it was as pure. A, an experience. It was a, it was a pure, um, I mean, a terrible, tragic experience. But you're seeing people, or I was seeing people, unfettered, un, um, you know, what's the word? Like, you know, unrehearsed, right? Everybody was just in complete shock. And when I say that, I don't mean that as like, wow, wasn't I, you know, I don't mean it like that. I mean, it, what what a moment. And again, when all of this started happening, the words that were coming out of people's mouths uh, were, were the Third World War, uh, World War, and World War Three, and and so forth. There was one guy, and he wouldn't go on, he wouldn't go on tape, but he was unfreaking believable, and it was. Um, it was a like a falafel stand inside a um, oh it was in Warsaw is what it was it was in Warsaw and Warsaw um, airport and the the Warsaw I don't know if it's a mall or something I, I shot a lot of video out of it so it should be easier to find what it was it turned into a refugee center and it's just three or four floors giant floors of refugees all over the place and I walked across I, I walked across uh, the um, I walked across the street to, to get something to eat and I ended up in this uh, I, I guess it was a subway underground whatever and there was a, a you know a falafel stand you know stand it was a, a store and uh, you know I figured they were Turks they're actually from Morocco and I don't know if this guy was the owner. Uh, I don't know who he was, but he had like a British type accent. So <laughs> forgive me if that's, uh, you know, that's a Moroccan uh, accent. But he, um, he, he's, he was going off and he, and he gave this, this monologue. He gave this, this take on how we should be looking at this. And it was mind-blowing. And the last words that he said, well, and he pointed, and he was so heavy. I mean, it, it, when I say it, he, he wasn't heavy looking, I, he was so heavy in his dialogue. And the last thing he said, and he, he looked right at me and he pointed, he said, and then that's the Third World War. And I'm telling you, if I had him on, if I had him on videotape, that I would have ended. I might have started the the, the documentary with that. I would have certainly ended it. But it was my, it was chilling, and I was exhausted when I heard him. And it was surreal 
listening to this guy, uh, and he blew my mind, and I said, is there any way I could just turn my, my iPhone on? And he was like, no. And uh, he was like, no, absolutely not. No, I do not put me on. And um, you know, he wasn't serving anybody. I don't even know if he was, he was the owner there, but he was uh, he just real. I mean, just a real, unbelievable uh, take on the It just blew me the hell away on what he said and how heavy this was. And when I was done, you know, with, the, with, these, uh, with these guys and, uh, you know, I went back over to the refugee center in, you know, that, the makeshift refugee center out of the, um, uh, you know, out of the Warsaw, uh, I guess the airport, it's a, a section of the airport. Um, is that, well, the train station? Yeah, maybe it was a Warsaw Central uh, train station is what it was. I took a lot of footage uh, in, in front of a McDonald's. It's just that it, that's the place they allowed me to kind of set up shop. And um, it's, it's a big, it's like a big McDonald's product placement that, you know, as if they, as if they need it. But uh, anyway, but it was, uh, it was just a great um uh, take on everything going on. Very sad, obviously. Uh, but I met everyone in that place from arms dealers, literally arms dealers, guys that were, uh, you know, I guess profiteering, uh, profiteering from, from there or trying to. Uh, he's an American, actually, a guy from New York. And I, I don't have his name in front of me, but I, have, I do have him on videotape. And I, I shouldn't say he's pro war profiteering. I, I, he, I think he was... He was donating a lot of things, but uh, but his interest was guns, and uh, whatever. Yeah, he's somewhere in, like in Westchester or something, uh, you know, something along those lines. And uh, he was interesting, but uh, you know, he was next to you know somebody who came from China, who um, uh, who donated their time and who was concentrating on on being helpful to the situation here, and just people. Uh, one after the other, and anybody that I can get to uh, <laughs> to speak generally uh, understandable English, I just wanted their take on it, and I, it it was so hard to. Uh, to uh, by the way, I got a lot of folks speaking in in their native tongue and in the Ukraine, including uh, the first night that I was there, I got uh, in a lot of people, I had a lot of people that were, um, uh, uh, that were just speaking in their, you know, in, in their uh, native, I, I have no idea what they're saying, we'll have to, you know, go through it and, and do the <laughs> uh, subtitles if they have something interesting, but, I, you know, it's, it, it was real, it was all happening uh, in, in, in real time and uh, unfolding and, um, uh, surreal and and I think part of it too you know like when you're so tired when you're exhausted you you know you, you almost you know have a you know like you're tripping a little or you're, you're stoned I wasn't trust me um, I, I mentioned uh, Flavio and his wife uh, the Manayas uh, and uh, Manaya uh, Manaya uh, uh, oh God, I'm blowing their last name, but anyway, they're they're my they're certainly my Facebook friends now. You could find them there, but they are um, 
uh, these wonderful people that I met uh, the first the first day I met Flavio at the uh, refugee center, and his wife was the first to bring me to the the border crossing in um, in uh, the uh, in Romania going into the Ukraine, and when uh, when I, you know I was w- uh, working with them. I, oh, actually, when I went to uh, to dinner at their house, they were offering me, uh, you know, a drink, and and I felt like you know being hospitable and maybe having a drink with them or whatever. But I I just didn't want, I, you know, I'm not a drinker, you know. First of all, I've owned three nightclubs, by the way, um, and, and I don't remember Wally or Open that you know I would I would be drinking. I'm not allergic to drinking. I'm not an alcoholic or re- reformed or anything like that. I just I I'm not a drinker. Um, but I, I certainly, uh, I wanted to be sober while all of this was was going on. And you just, first of all, you don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, you don't want to say something that could be insensitive uh, because it came out wrong or something along those lines. But it, it's it's such a surreal feeling there. And, and like I said, I mean, like you're stoned or you're tripping. And, you know, maybe it's jet lag and it's it's the moment that's uh, that's going on but while this is all unfolding uh, you're seeing you know all of these amazing things and by the way the people that were going through it and uh, you know not just the refugees but the a lot of the volunteers they knew they were watching history good bad ugly whatever uh, they were watching but they were watching something historic unfold right in front of their eyes and these volunteers that, um, you know, I met, I met all kinds of volunteers from all different countries. They were, um, they were just, you know, they, they were just blown away by what was happening. And I was blown away, and I think everyone else, by the, uh, uh, by the effort put forward by these, uh, by these folks. By the way, uh, you know, sometimes I would run into somebody and they'd say, you know, we just got here from you know, Kansas, or we just got here from, um, uh, you know, Germany, uh, where, where would you go if you were us? And I said, you know, certainly one of the transfer, uh, transfer stations, uh, by the, the crossings and, uh, you know, driving or whatever, uh, some of the train stations, some of, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's real easy to help. If you, if you want to help, if you want to get involved, you just show up and, you know, every warm body is, uh, is, is put to use. And if, uh, if you can put your ego aside and you could, you know, clean things up and I, you know, th- this one couple, um, they were from, and I'm going blank on their name, but I, I did a, a hour long interview with them and I did radio with them and they were just unbelievable people. But I mean, they were cleaning, uh, I, I mean, these, these are people, prominent people. They both own businesses in uh, in their hometown they have you know they have their own money they flew there on their own dime and uh, they were cleaning toilets they were cleaning the bathrooms in the uh, in the transfer center that you know and not only them but i mean everybody they just volunteered to to help and sometimes that was it frank mckay here signing off for a for for a moment and we'll get back for segment 2 of our conversation and uh, last one of the week, maybe the last one we're going to do uh, for a while, uh, but a recap of 2022. Frank McKay signing off just for now. We'll be back with segment two right after this. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, segment two of our discussion here and uh, you know end the week with um uh, you know some some additional thoughts and and one of the things that i was um uh, you know i was struck by with uh, with uh, the visit to uh, to the ukraine is you know the mixture of people that were emerging on the you know on the place and it it was this unbelievable refugee situation that we've we've never seen before. You know, there's a there's a guy named Yank Barry, and I, I don't know if he was nominated for uh, for for uh, Nobel prizes or he actually won Nobel prizes. Uh, he and Muhammad Ali did all kinds of work with with refugees, and he. Uh, he got heavily involved with the Syrian refugees. I, I reached out to him when I was uh, when I was over there to see if he was getting involved. But he's, you know, he's kind of a celebrity, and I don't even know where Yank is now. I don't even know if my God, I, I hate to say it, I don't even know if he's still with us. But I, I had him on some radio shows as he was doing all of this great work, and he he got heavily involved. Uh, with, with the with the Syrian refugee uh, crisis, and actually he was, uh, I, I think that was in Romania also, where uh, Romania was, uh, you know, bringing a lot. I think that's where Yank Berry um, worked out of was Romania, and he was inviting me over to, uh, to explain uh, what was going on then. And again, this sounds terrible, even to point out. But the difference there, and it really shouldn't, be, you know, certainly shouldn't be a difference. I mean, human beings and human beings. But I think the difference between the Syrian refugees and the folks from the Ukraine, and it sounds terrible, but it's, you know, it's an honest assessment, is that they look and they act and they have more of a... Uh, a lifestyle in common with a lot of the folks that went over there to be supportive. And the Syrians, people from Syria, I mean, that's a, uh, it's a culture, and unless you're Muslim, unless you, you know, follow Islam, uh, you, you have less in common with, uh, with the Syrian refugees than you do with the Ukrainian refugees. And it sounds terrible to say but trust me it's a big part of it and it came up quite a bit and I you know even came up with you know I noticed right away that uh, that these 
kids, these young people look like my daughter, you know, look like her friends. Uh, these people look like my wife, you know, my, my late mother. And, and they sound like it. And it's, they, we probably share many of the same experiences. And, uh, you know, even the, the religion. And we look like them. The Syrian refugees, and again, it shouldn't be, obviously. Uh, there's what is and there's what ought to be. I, I am not saying that this is right, it's accurate, or whatever. But the Syrian refugees will come over and, uh, and they looked different than us. They had burkas on many of uh, many of the women. They had, uh, you know, traditional uh, Muslim garb, and you know, again, as they should. As, you know, everyone should enjoy their culture. But people that you see at the mall in Paramus, New Jersey, look less like the majority of them. The the, the housewives, the house husbands, the uh, the working moms, the uh, the working dads, they seem a lot more like the Ukrainians. They look, they sound, they, uh, they, they experience more, and they connect more with, uh, with the Ukrainians than they, than they did with the, the Syrians. Or, uh, you know, let's say some, um, uh, you know, some people coming out of the Sudan uh, or Ethiopia at, uh, at, uh, one point, and by the way, uh, people rallied around the Ethiopians, of course, and that was, um, you know, wonderful. And and people dove into that. This is different. It's just different because it looks and uh, and seems a lot more closer to home because of the shared experiences. I, I again, you know, I'm not saying it ought to be like that. I'm not saying it's good that it's like that. I'm telling you it's like that. And when people people were experiencing helping out someone that looked a lot like their sister and seemed a lot like their sister and dressed a lot like their sister. By the way, it's also worth mentioning that when I got there. When I got to uh, the Ukraine, the first wave of of refugees, and by the way, this should never minimize it either. But the first wave of refugees weren't broke. I mean, they might be, you know, they might be now. But what I'm telling you is that they weren't broke. I'm not saying they're filthy rich. I'm not saying they're they're wealthy. They're well off, but the first wave of Ukrainian in, uh, immigrants, uh, immigrants, uh, refugees that were emigrating out of of the war torn area. Those folks, those folks had some money. They needed to 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 get out to hire a uh, to hire cars, to um, hire a driver maybe. To, uh, to, to do this. By the way, a, a woman, and I have her on, on video um, in the documentary, she came over with her daughter. She had a 12-year-old daughter, Lovely, and she spoke also. And they had this little dog. I forget what the dog's name was, but uh, it's all on, on, on video and the documentary. Uh, 
uh, as as we as we speak, it's being worked on. It's you know we're finishing it up. We're getting there. But she told me the the mom told me that uh, when the when the bombing started, and uh, you know that they they immediately uh, figured out you know how to how to get out. And they had to wait for a couple of days. They had to figure out. Uh, you know, uh, I think she had to get her mother and, and an aunt situated, and they hired a, um, I don't know, hired, they, uh, they got somebody with a big SUV, and th- them and, and a, another uh, group of people drove 22 miles, uh, 22 miles, 22 hours straight, um, but it wasn't straight. I think they stopped and they stayed at a, at a, at a hotel along the way that was um that was uh, that was I, I think you know a prominent place i don't know where they stopped but they came from uh kiev and uh and they they took off with a, another group of people and they stayed at a hotel they broke their their day up and then they ended up um coming across the border and that was the um that was the polish border that they uh, that they came a uh, heartbreaking moment uh, when I was talking to her was when, and you could hear me break up when I asked the question, she said, you know, we, we know we're, we're happy because we know that this is only going to be lasting a couple of days. And I, you know, again, you know, I almost lost it uh, because she believed it. The mother believed that this was going to last a couple of days and that the husband and the father of her child is going to be back, you know, with her within a couple of days when this is all over. I, I don't know, you know, like where the thought came from. She's a highly intelligent woman. And I, I don't know who told her that. Maybe the, the husband had said said that. Maybe, you know, maybe he planned on, on going to meet them in a couple of days. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But... Um, Quite frankly, I mean, I I almost lost it, and you can hear me as I'm speaking to her. I'm cracking; my voice is cracking. Um, but that young girl too thought. I, the other thing that I thought was poignant, and and they people said it in different ways, but the the little kids were saying something that uh, that all sounded reminiscent of something, um, and and you know they said it in different ways and whatever, and. I said to somebody, I said, you know, somebody kind of interpreting for me. I said, "What does that mean? What they're saying?" And she turned to me and she said, "Daddy's fighting, or Papa's fighting, or Dada's fighting, you know, whatever." But that's why it sounded different each time. But there was something, I guess, the word "fighting," but that's what they, the little kids, kept saying, "Is Daddy's fighting, Daddy's fighting," because. Father and the brothers and the uncles stayed behind. Frank McKay here. I'll be back for uh, our next next segment right after this. Um, we'll be back. More breaking it down and more of the Ukraine conflict. And as we look back on 2022, right after this. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down, and here we are in our 
last day, at least of this this first installment of a uh, the last day of of our five day series on the Ukraine and uh, and the uh, the remembering of 2022 and a uh, rehash is that the right word a retrospective on the Ukrainian war, Putin's war, and we are, um, yeah, here we are on the, the last day of this conversation, and quite frankly, you know, I, I mean, we're probably, <laughs> probably gone for a, uh, a, a long time, um, but one of the things is, and I and I touched on it with the Belarusians uh, getting beat up by by the poles there, and you know, in a normal world, we would be sympathetic to uh, you know to someone getting bullied, right? Somebody getting um, getting beat up by a big crowd, and and probably quite frankly, it, it was uh, it it. It was, uh, you know, again, I can't imagine they'd have to be the three biggest idiots in the world uh, to start shooting their mouth off about how great Putin is and how great Russia is. And uh, and if they're that dumb to do that uh, with with the polls having been um, not bombed, the, the polls didn't get bombed on that, that border, but a couple of days earlier, they felt it. They felt it. Uh, you know, at that particular border, and I think personally, uh, and I said this before, but I think Putin was sending a message because the the polls over there were uh, was supplying. I think that's where they were sending in supplies to these Ukrainian uh, troops, and and for the most part, uh, very uh, you know inexperienced uh, Ukrainian uh, troops, and that was like sending a message to the uh, Polish president or the Polish army. Hey. Uh, we'll get a little close there. They didn't, they they really didn't, uh, you know, they didn't come close to bombing, and I think they were very careful, uh, Poland, but it was closer than uh, than anybody uh, wanted to think, and everyone was talking about it uh, over the next two or three days. Anyway, but what happens to the world, what happens to the, you know, our society when, something this intense goes on is uh is free speech goes out the window like everyone uh you know may turn around and say hey you know look we're americans those guys have the right to be pro-putin those guys have the right to to talk about um you know russia in a positive way if they want i guess what Uh, the polls had no interest in it it's too close to home and once again this could be the third world war. This could be, you know, this could be the end of uh, end times, maybe, right? This could be the the start of something that's absolutely, absolutely catastrophic for all of us. Um, but certainly, they are right next to it. The Romanians, the Poles, the Moldovans, the, the uh, uh, Hungarians, uh, the folks from the Czech Republic, the folks from the Slovak Republic. And guess what? 
they have very little patience for uh, for for free speech at this point. By the way, um, Socrates, and not to get too heavy into in, into um, uh, history here, but Socrates, as you know, many people remember, uh, had had a famous trial that his uh, his um, student Plato wrote about, and Plato loved Socrates. I mean, he loved him, idolized him. And he wrote this, uh, you know, this this tribute to him, and the the reason why we know um, we know about uh, so much about Socrates and even Plato is is because Socrates uh, drank hemlock um, that the government, uh, you know, always you know we always heard forced him to. Uh, to drink the truth of the matter is if you really if you really look into it and uh, you know i don't even know if you have to look that far into it but it, it certainly uh, there's a historian named eugen weber and i i love him uh, he's dead you know for many years but he taught at ucla and he did a, a something called the western tradition it was uh, the annenberg group put it out and it was like a 56 part series on on uh, I guess Western Civ, and it was so brilliant. And this guy is so well thought out. Um, he's a Romanian, I think. He was a Romanian, and uh, and he, you know, he taught in California. But he had brought up the the concept of of, of Socrates um, being, you know, quote unquote, forced to drink the hemlock. And he said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing that they didn't want. They don't want to kill Socrates. They, they wanted him to shut up. The war was going on, and uh, Athens was having a rough time of it. It was going poorly. The war was going terribly. And what Socrates was doing, he was asking a lot of uncomfortable questions about it. Should we be at war? Should you know, similar to what people were doing at, at Vietnam, you know, and uh, and. The war was going badly, and Socrates was bringing things up, and he had an option not to drink the hemlock. He had an option even to get out of jail, I think, but he, he drank the hemlock, he drank the poison to be a martyr to, to free speech for the rest of his life. Big publicity stunt. He, he died in doing so, right? But uh, if Socrates doesn't drink that poison... God knows uh, how much we know about uh, about him and and so many of his thoughts. It brought a tremendous amount of attention, and he was the first in the line, right? It was Socrates taught Plato, Plato taught Aristotle, Aristotle taught uh, taught uh, Alexander the Great, right? So you had that that line uh, of that four uh, major figures uh, that it all started with Socrates, I mean, and uh, you know went from there. The reason I bring that up is the folks from Belarus, they have a right to say things, but the people that don't want to hear it, that are having serious problems and that are maybe losing loved ones, you know, if, if this is in Poland, they potentially could be losing loved ones. Uh, they're also scared, nervous, and, uh, and angry. 
that Putin is doing this. So if you're going to shoot off your mouth and be pro-Putin, guess what? They're going to you're going to get the crap beat out of you, right? You're going to get the crap beat out of you. You know, it's it's going to make you drink hemlock, but you never know what's going to go on. Another incident that I saw, and it's it's amazing. I got to listen to my my uh, interview from around that time with Deepak Chopra, a great self help author and um, very enlightened guy. I was on a train in Denmark, and this was one of the um, surrounding countries that I uh, you know that I that I spoke about. Um, and you know, even though it's not that close to uh, to the Ukraine, as I was getting out, as I was uh, as I was making my way home, uh, you know, as as these fifteen days kind of unfolded, I ended up in Germany uh, for a refugee. Um, you know, center actually wasn't you know it wasn't as uh, prominent. Maybe it is now, but it wasn't as prominent as. Um, as I was uh, led to believe that it was a Hamburg. Anyway, so what I did is, uh, you know, I realized uh, Denmark was fairly close to uh, to where I was, and uh, and I I took a uh, took a train up there one. I think it was a Sunday, and and I went up there, and you know I figured you know let's just see how far reaching everything is and how uh, prominent. The war is in you know in Scandinavia, which is you know you know north of what's what's going on down here, and it was tense, right? The the soldiers were all over. Now I I don't I've never been to Denmark before, but I was on this train, and uh, you know the the promoter had called and said you got Deepak Chopra for you, so I went. And I sat down in the middle of a, you know, like a, a, not the sitting part of a train, but um, where people would get off or use the bathroom or whatever. And I sat down there and I did an interview with, with Deepak Chopra. As I was, just, it just so happens, as I, as I was doing this, these kids, and they were from Russia, I think there were four or five of them, they stopped the train, not the kids stopped the train, the, the soldiers stopped the train. And they pulled these kids off. Dogs were walking all over. I mean, they, you know, maybe they had reason to do this, the Denmark military or the Denmark police, but the kids were Russians. And when I say kids, you know, maybe 22, 23, maybe 19, I, I don't know. It was hard for me to, uh, me to tell and again, you know, here I am, um, you know, interviewing, <laughs> interviewing Deepak Trump. I don't know if he knew what was going on. I got to listen back to it and see if we, we hear the chaos going on in the background. But for all we know, those kids did nothing. But nobody cares, right? This is your Russian. Uh, if you're talking pro-Russian and, uh, and, and there's a military group that, of course, Denmark was is fully behind the Ukraine, right? Uh, but they they handle these kids kind of rough, I got to say. Frank McKay signing off just for now. Uh, more when we come back. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you in a little while right after these words with more breaking it down.
In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's breaking it down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the last segment of the last show of the week, recapping 2022 and recapping especially the the, uh, time I spent in the Ukraine and uh, touching on some some key issues in the war um, that Putin, uh, you know, again, initiated and started the the Golden Globes uh, just occurred, and we uh, I, I interviewed a bunch of uh, the uh, the folks involved, and you know one of the questions that they keep getting is about Zelensky and his uh, his comments and in short and again I didn't see the Golden Globes I didn't watch his his uh, speech. But the, the bottom line in it is that he was saying that this is not going to be World War III. And <clears throat> the fact that he said that would indicate that, that uh, there's a sensitivity around the, the world that is concerned maybe about funding the Ukrainians because they don't want it to turn into World War III. If you remember, I said, as I went over there, the first few days, out of the 15 days, but the first few days, in my mind, I was convinced that this is, uh, this is gonna turn into the Third World War. And, you know, I, certainly I, I wasn't getting that out of my imagination, I was getting that from everybody there, and that was the concern. It was that feeling. Can, could you just imagine being around a community, and you know, not just uh, you know one country, but uh, four, five different countries that are concerned that this could be the the, the very end of of the world as we know it. And, you know, Zelensky said that for a reason. And he said it because it probably, uh, in his mind, needed to be uh, addressed. And maybe there's a downswing in donations, uh, you know, funding. Or maybe just as it goes on, people are losing the sting of what this really is about. And it's about a larger nation, in this case Russia, coming in and deciding that it's going to basically annex the Ukraine and take pieces of their country and and take them for him, for himself. Same thing Saddam Hussein did in, in 1990. The response to that, and, and again, you know, keep in mind, Saddam Hussein, who, by the way, used to be our guy, you know, we're ashamed to, to talk about it, but 
in the war against Iran, it was a 10-year, basically a 10-year standoff, and <clears throat> we backed Saddam Hussein, uh, the, the Iraqi leader, basically because he wasn't Ayatollah Khomeini and whoever came after that. I forget who, who it was that came after um, Khomeini. But we went all in with, with Saddam Hussein. And, of course, when he had this, uh, what were they calling the third biggest, I think the fourth biggest military under some kind of guise, under some kind of measurement, they were saying it was the fourth biggest military in the world. And <clears throat> I don't know if that uh, had to do with spending, if that had to do with uh, just the, the arms that they have. But it was Russian-based machinery. And when President Bush, that's George Herbert Walker Bush, called everyone to arms to defend tiny Kuwait, tiny but rich Kuwait, lots of oil over there, right? And uh, when he called everyone to arms, he started with the uh, Arabic nations. I don't know how it differs uh, from, from now as far as a count, but um, there's 22, 22 Arabic nations, and... I've been to uh, five of them. Right? I've been to almost 70 countries now. And, you know, I've been to five um, Arabic countries. And if one of the things that I keep hearing is, uh, is that Kuwait doesn't like us, right? Ku Kuwait doesn't like the United States. I could imagine a lot of different people, including Arabic nations, not liking the United States for various reasons. Same way people, some people don't like me or some people don't like you. And so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's there. But I could certainly imagine that there's a lot of uh, folks from different countries that don't like the United States. But I have a very hard time, a very hard time pinpointing exactly why Kuwait wouldn't like the United States. I mean, they were, they were, they were destroyed. I mean, they were... Uh, they were annexed within, you know, I mean, virtually within hours, but, you know, within days. And Saddam Hussein uh, started with them, and he was heading towards Saudi Arabia. Now, just think about this for, for a moment. Iraq has some resources. They don't have the resources that tiny Kuwait has because, you know, oil. We're talking about oil here. But they also don't have the the resources that Saudi Arabia has, which is unbelievable. So Saddam Hussein, if Bush, if George Herbert Walker Bush didn't step in and do something, he was going to simply, he meaning Saddam Hussein, was going to simply go to Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia would have probably had no uh, defense against Saddam Hussein. And if nobody did anything, Saddam Hussein would have his resources, that's Iraqi resources, Kuwait resources, and, and Saudi Arabia's oil and resources.
which, by the way, I mean, I, I don't have an exact count, but I would imagine that would make Saddam Hussein the richest man in the history of the universe, right? If he had all had oil and his, his country, who had the fourth biggest military, would all of a sudden have all types of money to spend. And uh, I imagine they would be spending it on military, right? Different things like that. Anyway, the, the point that I, I want to make here, and it leads back to Zelensky, the point is that when our war, and they called it a war, they didn't call it a conflict because, of course, Vietnam was uh, controversial. They never called it a war. It was just silly. And, um, and, and they were calling it the conflict and everything. The Iraqi war from day one was called the Iraqi war, the per- per- Persian Gulf War, Operation Desert Storm. They called it a war because that's what it was. And within 30 hours or 24 hours, I think it was 24 hours, Bernard Shore, he was uh, doing the CNN coverage for the most part, and I was glued to it. There was no other news outlet. CNN was really the 24-hour vehicle. And he had the military editor, I don't remember his name, but military editor for U.S., News and uh, and World Report, and Bernard Shaw said, "What are we seeing here? What's what's happened?" And he said, "Well, within 24 hours, Iraq's air force is destroyed." He said, "Completely destroyed," and it's not that they have air supremacy or air superiority. There is no air force left in the Iraqi military, and. Um, and he said, all I could think of, and this is the military uh, expert and the, the editor, he said, all I could think of is what must Russia be thinking? All of these weapons that Ronald Reagan talked about, all of the Star Wars and all of this high-tech space-age weaponry, it works. It works, and it just wiped out Russian-made weapons all this time. The reason I say this is Russia, and again, I'm not underestimating anybody, but Russia had a 10-year conflict with uh, the Afghans, and, and, you know, it didn't go well. Um, Saddam Hussein had a 10-year conflict with uh, with I- Iran using Russian-based, you know, military hardware. And that didn't go well, 10 years, right? And now Russia is fighting with Zelensky and, and a ragtag army of, uh, of Ukrainians who are very proud. And I'll tell you what, uh, maybe, maybe it's, it's time to, uh, to underestimate Russia a little. And let's see where it goes. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll break here. We'll be talking about this in the future. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. Thanks for tuning in this week. And we'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Frank McKay. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.